Hi there, welcome back to the podcast of Wednesday's Child. Um, you're with your host, Debbie Watson. I am the founder of Wednesday's Child. And today I am joined by a special guest on the podcast show. So I'm joined by Isabel Lemon, who is an incredible therapist who I have come to know professionally and personally. And I have huge uh, respect and admiration for. And I just was really excited about the opportunity to share with you that Isabel is now joining our team as one of our Wednesday's Child Practitioners. So some of you listening to this may in the coming weeks and months get to actually communicate with Isabel on your own personal level. But also I just think there's so much to learn in an um, episode today from Isabel about the access to therapy these days and how we should go about that, how we should perceive therapy now compared with how we might have done years previously. And also look at the many different types of therapeutic approaches that Isabel has been part of in her career and I think just just so much to learn from her so join me in welcoming Isabel Leving. hi hello how are you doing you all right yeah I'm really good thank you thanks for having me oh you're more than welcome now Isabel you're based up in Glasgow aren't you yes I am I'm in Scotland um I've lived in Edinburgh before I'm now in Glasgow and you hail from the wonderful world of East Anglia which is where I am too I do indeed. I'm from Suffolk and my parents still live there. So I love going back. And in terms of therapy delivery, I guess, like so many of us post-COVID, lots of your work is online. So you must see people the full length and breadth of the country and probably even beyond. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do still do a bit a mix. So a bit of both. I see people in person and in the clinic, but absolutely the, the majority of people are online. And probably also the majority are actually down south at the moment for me. So, yeah, clients in Scotland and England. Amazing. Excellent. Now, what really fascinates me, you've gone down the route of sort of mental health therapeutic kind of um, practice, but you haven't been, you're certainly not what I would call a one trick pony. You are very much kind of, you know, you, you straddle lots of different strands of, of therapeutic support. Do you want to talk yeah. me through where you where you see yourself do you talk about yourself as an in, integrative therapist what, what where, where do you position yourself and what how does that set you apart from any other kind of specialist yeah I definitely I do see myself as an integrative therapist and that that is how I would describe myself so I use a range of different modalities and I'm a firm believer that there's not just one approach um for everyone I think I think even if if something works particularly well for people, there can always be other strings from other areas that we can also draw on to further help people. Um, so there's a range of different things that I do. Some One of them is neuro-linguistic programming, which was actually my first introduction into the thought of coaching and therapeutic world. And that was something I did about university time. And I loved it. And I saw how quick and how impactful it can be for people and it was sort of since I did that that I then began exploring other areas and different ways to help people. So I I know a lot of people in this community who've experienced an eating disorder will have heard of NLP and people will have used it and and to great effect. Tell Mm -hmm. me how you think it kind of what what are the greatest benefits for those that do choose to go down the route of NLP? What do most people gain from from going down the NLP route? I think a couple of things. I think one of the first thing is it helps to resource people. So I think it can give people an insight into 
actually there is an element of control there and some of it is is a case of seeing not only what's within yourself but what you can see from the people around you so for modeling behaviors and things like that as well and taking approaches well not necessarily an approach but yeah see, seeing what works for other people and how you can apply that but also resourcing yourself through a range of a range of different methods whatever it might be that works for you but I think what it can do is it can help to give people an understanding of how their brain works and also how they they can then use that new understanding that they've gained about how their brain works to implement specific strategies for themselves but obviously that would be something that we would facilitate with them. I think I think what I see as as so kind of um, powerful about it is it feels very practical like you say it's very resource driven it is like saying so here's my toolkit here's what I'm able to do yeah I think the thing many people fear about when they hear the word therapy or counseling or whatever what they fear is oh you mean I'm going to sit in a room and I'm going to go over and over and over my history I'm just going to talk about the bad the negative everything that's gone before whereas NLP isn't about that NLP is about awareness of where I am and looking at what I can pack my toolkit with today to embrace Mm -hmm. the life I want for the future absolutely and I I actually think that's something that's true for all of the modalities that I use they're all very what what they often call in the areas like solution focus so you're looking for that solution it's not um as some of the approaches are more sort of focusing on potentially what the issue is. It's okay. We know what the issue is. Where do you want to get to? Um, and what do you want out of this? How do you know that how do you know that that's that's going to be the outcome? So what's going to be different once you're, you know, whatever it might be, once you're experiencing less anxiety, how are you going to know that? What will that look like? Um yeah. So, so like, definitely I've talked about on this podcast before about saying it's less about what's the matter with you and more about what matters to you so kind yes. of just what is your aspiration what is your ambition so how we can move you forward yeah and I think just another point to touch on from what you said about giving people like a toolbox and a set of tools I think that's probably some of the feedback that I've had most from my clients it's been well the thing that's so great about the work that you do is that you're giving me I've, I've used the word already but solutions and you're giving me practical things to go away with and also things that I can do by by myself if I want to once once our sessions have finished so it's more than a case of talking through the issues it's as I say that that next step as well was well what can we do and what can you also do to help yourself so is there almost like a non-existent contract that exists between the therapist and and the person coming to you that is kind of you know you need to be prepared to show up and and attend these yeah. sessions but also that you need to be prepared to do the homework you need to do the doing there's no point yeah. in having these weekly sessions that last 45 minutes and you go away and in those seven days you do absolutely nothing to change the way you think or live yeah definitely I think I think it is an unwritten thing but I, what I would also say is for me personally I do put some emphasis on it at the start so I will say to people look this isn't just about coming to have these conversations and have these sessions it's it's about more than that and I I am expecting you to put into practice some of the things that we talk about and when you do that that's when you'll begin to see the improvements and you'll begin to see the benefits but you know there's also that side of it will be difficult um, and I'm here to support you support you through that as well in whatever way is best for you but I'm interested to know how do you know when 
somebody approached approaches you for what they think is the kind of the starting point of their journey is there ever a time when you look at somebody and, and you have that initial conversation and you think they're just not ready is that is that really tricky for you because somebody might be coming to you at a point of desperation or dare I say it, effectively being dragged by somebody else who thinks that they're yes. in support how do we deal with that how, how do you kind of say to someone you're just not ready yeah, it's, it is probably one of the most difficult conversations to be had, um, and it has happened in the past. I think there's a couple of things to it. I think it's about getting them to see and understand from a therapist's point of view or as a practitioner what what the reasons are behind it. So um, is it because potentially there, there's... So, so sometimes it could even be that there's almost too much going on so they might have so many things going on, even like court cases and things like that. And you sort of intuitively know that they're not going to be able necessarily to implement some of the practices because of because of where they are with things in their life. So you have to sort of slowly start bringing them, bring them around and you'll give them some initial tips to say this, this is what you could go, go away and do now when things have settled down a little bit and you're you're ready to um start talking about things in a bit more detail um details maybe not the right word but to start putting more focus on what we can do um then that's it but but other times it might be for me the people who they potentially want more of a support in terms of they they want to focus on what's what's wrong um and it might be a, a session or two where you're saying okay well let's let's look at the other side of this what is it that that you want um and sometimes that can take a little bit of time and it's again just that support through that but for some people they'll they'll say well actually maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm not ready for this um so it's okay when when you're ready to start making some some changes um then come back and we can look at um how to implement these things just kind of facilitating their own self-awareness of where they are yes yeah. and then being honest with themselves that actually maybe it was my husband that wanted me to be here or my parent that wanted me to be here unless yeah. being ready to show up for it right now yeah and to be honest there are some people that will say that straight away they'll just straight away say look I, I don't necessarily want to be here my husband wants or whoever wants me to be here um and so you'll sort of you know speak a bit more and say okay well would it be beneficial for you is it something you you actually are ready to work out um take it from there and and how easy is it and and do you encourage it to go from one type of therapy to another can you seamlessly move from some I know some people will talk about perhaps they've been on like I don't know kind of through the route of CBT and then they mm -hmm. might move into something more intensive do you see that happening as a as a pathway for some people and particularly I'm, I'm thinking about like with eating disorders often people maybe have historically had some form of therapy and then they want to come back into therapy later in their life because the eating disorder is still sat there but they want to try a different approach or mm -hmm. they've been you know to the same therapist for a long time but then they realize hold on this hasn't been working I need to shift this yeah. I'm changing or my need is changing mm -hmm. yeah um definitely I think it's, it's actually something that I've seen quite a lot throughout my work within the mental health field so people in particular I think <clears throat> typically because they're more traditional approaches which means that more people have have tried them um counseling and um counseling probably the main one where people will say actually 
it may have been helpful at the time, but it wasn't as helpful as I would want it to be now. And maybe I'm ready to try something else. But I definitely think, yeah, there's there's room to try other things. And I think I sort of touched on it at the start there. I think actually from from where mindsets, where my own mindset sits with it is there is actually room for all of these therapies. Um, and I think it's about taking bits from each of them for different situations and okay, which tool from this modality is going to work particularly well for this? Um, so I think, I guess I'm talking about it more from a practitioner's point of view there. But um, yeah, I definitely think there's there, it would be possible um, and not too difficult at all for people to go between modalities. And I think for anybody listening who isn't even sure what the various modalities are, I would encourage them to explore those. And, and yeah, there's one mark of a good therapist is somebody who's prepared to talk to you about that, all those opportunities. Yeah. Because I would never have thought I would have been somebody that would have got my head around like the tapping. I yeah. found that kind of a really unusual thing for me. Yeah. All oh, this seems a bit weird. But even yeah. now, when I'm trying to kind of calm myself, I can yeah. you know, just in a snapshot, I can see something that has the power. I don't call on it all the time, but there's yeah. something I've gained from that, having learned it many, many years ago. I don't yeah. know why, but it seemed to work for me. It that's yeah. that's just one of your other kind of modalities that you use, isn't it? EFT. Yeah. EFT, yeah, definitely. Um, it's one that I actually use quite a lot. Um and I find it very effective. But funny enough, I had the same experience as you. I first tried it when I was, I must have been a teenager. Um, can't remember exactly how old. And I couldn't, I found it a bit weird. Um, wasn't really sure about it at all. Felt quite uncomfortable when I was doing it. Um, perhaps you because You feel a bit of... self-conscious, don't you? Somebody, yeah. So so just explain to people, you know, this is where someone would say to you now, tap at this this point on your, your forehead yeah. or, or kind of, you know, your cheek or whatever. Yeah, so it's essentially you, you tap on different what's called acupressure points or pressure points within the body to release energy um, and release flow, release the negative emotions, negative energy, get you feeling a bit more relaxed. Um, but yeah, you can do it in a way where you, you tap on different points for different feelings, for example, um, but also things like collarbone points, which are just below your, your collarbone. Um, they're great when people are heavily emotional and maybe they're they've got particularly upset about whatever we're talking about or you might be in a state of panic or overwhelm there's particular points that can be more effective um, for those types of instances but it can be uncomfortable I think because we're not used to tapping on our body first of all it comes more from that sort of Chinese um, medicine Um, but also what it forces people to do is initially acknowledge what the problem is. And that is something that can be difficult to do, but it's what makes it so powerful because also we're saying these things out loud. And by all means, you don't have to say them out loud, but some people who are more nervous or perhaps uncomfortable, initially I might say, okay, well, we can say it in our heads. And then as they begin to get more comfortable, that's then we'll begin to build up a bit more. Um, but it's it's very powerful because there's a few different things that it forces you to do, which ordinarily we don't do. And even just saying the things out loud, like I'm feeling really anxious, just as a really simple example, people go, oh, OK. Or you're just accepting the fact, OK, I've been feeling really stressed, but that's OK. Um, I think that in itself is a hugely powerful thing. It's that kind of repetition of, of verbalising it. And I think sometimes... Yeah. 
people who've, who've gone through issues with an eating disorder a aren't very good at verbalizing like so yeah. sometimes we have that kind of you know um just I don't know choking feeling of not being able to communicate what we're feeling but I think the other thing that worked for me perhaps and it's just my own reflections on it I wasn't good at self-touch so then to be mm-hmm. asked to do a therapy that yeah. actually asks me to engage with my human self and to touch yeah. the physical being that in itself could almost create really powerful emotions um yeah which then almost it takes it's, it's harder work to do but actually once yeah. it becomes something that you see the benefits of it's yeah. very easy I you know I could sit in my car and do it not when I'm driving yes but, yeah <laughs> or, or just it, you know, it used to be something that I would resort to. Say, for example, I just pulled up outside a restaurant, about to go and meet a group of friends, getting a little bit anxious about public eating. But no, yeah. this is what will calm me. You know, whereas yes. normally, prior to that, it might have been a state of a complete distress, choking, crying, yeah, refusing to go into the restaurant, turn the engine back on and drive home. Instead, yeah. I calm myself in that moment. And actually, you know, that couple of minutes of almost like mantra-like talking... Yeah, is really really helpful. Yeah, and I think with with um, EFT or tapping is is it's good for that because it it almost works in two ways. You can use it in as we say the example that you've given more in the short term, so it can help you overcome initially. And I'm sure it could be the same with um, things like food craving or or controlling the food in whichever way that might be for the person um, to get through that initial fear or anxiety, whatever the feeling would be. Um, but yeah, there was someone I was speaking to actually just this week who she, I've done some tapping with her and she was out at a basketball game with her friend and she started getting anxious. And because some of the points are on your hands and your fingers, she was able to sit there. And even whilst she was sitting next to someone, she was sort of tapping um, on her hands um, whilst sort of talking to herself in her head. Um, and that for her was enough to help her through that moment and bring her back to the present moment, back to the basketball game. That's really interesting. So it doesn't even need to feel like it's hugely public or whatever. It's really subtle. Not at all. Yeah. In that moment. But then the point is, it brings you back to, yeah. as you say, it brings you back to the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it feels to me that particular type of therapy is one that, and for any adults listening that have younger people they live with who have eating disorder issues, it feels like to me like a type of practice that can be very easily worked with with younger people do, do you think yes definitely um I do think that I think one because it's relatively easy it's relatively simple but I think it can help younger people probably for similar reasons that we've spoken about but as I say even if they're feeling a bit insecure and uncomfortable and they don't want to say it out loud actually they can just think about it and tap along with you um and that really is, you know, it's still effective for children. It's yeah. I mean, my my um my mum was uh, worked in education for a long time, and she used it a lot in schools for children. Um, to huge effect and huge benefit. That's very interesting. So mm-hmm. now let's go to the complete other extreme. You've also worked in therapies that some people just won't know anything about at all. Yeah. Tell me about RTMF and tell me yeah what it is. And I mean, we haven't got any kind of pictures showing up on screen now, so you're going to have to kind of ex- explain this quite kind of yeah. as is possible to do over an audio podcast. Yeah. Tell me how you came into that and and why you think that works as powerfully as it does for some people. Yeah. So RTMS it stands for Repetitive Transcranial Magnetic 
stimulation. So I guess let's just break that word down and hopefully that will help visually as well. So transcranial, so cranial is the head, um, magnetic. So it uses magnetic energy, magnetic pulses, which are sent to form a magnetic field that's generated around a coil to a specific area of of the brain. So the coil will be placed over a different area of the head, depending on what was being treated. And the, the pulses would be sent at different frequencies. So um, different speeds, essentially, um, based on what effects you want to have in the brain. Um, so how did I first get into it? Well, I first learned about it actually at university. I did a master's in neuroscience and I, it was it was part of one of my research projects that I did for that. Um, following that, I sort of was when I first got into working to support people with mental health. Um, it was first I was off in a hospital, but then ended up working with a company who were one of the first companies to actually use TMS within the UK. Um, and we had a clinic in London and... Yeah, I was I was the practitioner that worked there, so I helped to um, provide the treatment, support the patients as they were having the treatment. Um, yeah, that's that's a very quick introduction. I know um, it sounds yeah. like and I know when I've sort of in the past I've mentioned because I I know of you and I've I've talked to yeah. people about what you do, and I get people saying, "Oh, you mean the thing that they used to give people electric shock therapy?" And people- yeah panic that that's what it means it's that kind of yeah. thing just yeah. reassure people it's not at all like that. yeah no not at all like that um it is much less invasive um so with with the rtms magnetic um as i say one of the key distinctions is that it's just magnetic pulses as opposed to electric currents and electric shocks um to the brain um so with ect it causes a seizure um and it's done under anesthetic and you might stay in hospital and things like that with rtms um you come in you don't have to be under any anesthetic you're literally sat in a chair um you're talking to the practitioner the whole time and the the pulses are sent you can feel them if you're having the treatment so you can feel them people describe it in completely different ways um some people say it's like a bird tapping the head some people say it's a bit like if someone was like lightly flicking a rubber band at you um but it's that sort of repetitive like touching um some people say like if someone's to hit you with a pen like that um yeah so there's there's um a few differences between them um rtms um bit different still effective um but i guess in a similar vein to ect at the moment it is more traditionally used for people who are what they call within um, that healthcare sector as treatment resistant. Um, I think that they use a new word for it now, but it's essentially that. So people who haven't yet benefited from things like medication or often traditionally CBT and counselling as well. So they might at the moment and have had a long period yes. of medication, but for whatever reason, it's just not working for them. Yeah, exactly. And they're typically um, the people who would go on to have this RTMS treatment. Um, I do think I do think that will change in the years to come. Um, I think that there's 
the evidence for how effective it is, is is still growing. So we know that it's effective for treatment resistant people. And I think once we can use it more and more and more, it's, it's being used more within the NHS in England at the moment. Um, it will become more, hopefully, towards more of a first line treatment, as opposed to just um, more traditionally, as I say, being used for people who have tried other, other treatments and therapies. Okay. So let's just talk about the perception of therapy like you know I know back in the day sitcoms in the 1980s it was kind of seen as a wacky thing if somebody was going to just to go and see a counsellor a therapist where are we at in 2022 when somebody decides to engage with some kind of support for their mental health and you know naturally as a practitioner you're going to say well there is no kind of stigma or anything but do you think we've come such a long way that it is seen as that much more acceptable and therefore open to all and and do you think the door is open as much as it should be I think it's definitely improved for sure um but you can I can still see a generational difference um so I have I actually was with a client yesterday who is early 20s and she was describing to me her parent who is still sort of would call them um mental health someone who wanted mental health support he would still call it a a nervous breakdown and he would almost refuse to accept that people might might be struggling with mental health and that they could go for support and you know try different things to to help them um and it wasn't something that he would he would even have considered essentially was what she was saying is is it's not something that yeah he would he wouldn't even consider so I think I do think there's still that generational gap. Um, not of course for everyone. I think in general it has gotten better, but but I would say that the generational gap is there. I would say about younger people, they are more open to it. And I think they're more open to it in a more positive way because I think a lot of people not only see it as a benefit for their mental health, but also self-development in general. So they'll know, for example, if they're in business. I'm starting to get more people who think, well, actually, therapy can help me perform at my highest. So I'm not necessarily in a particularly bad place right now, but I'm not where I want to be. I could be doing better mentally. And I know that if I'm doing better mentally, then that will push my business or push my work life, whatever it might be, to be even better. Um, I still think there's apprehension. Um, I do actually still believe there's some, I do think there's still some stigma there. Um, but it's definitely changing um, and hopefully it will continue continue to change in the right direction. Yeah, and certainly I still believe, you know, when we deliver training about eating disorders, I still believe it's the situation, particularly if we go into corporates and we talk to businesses about yeah. you know, what, what you would need to understand about eating disorders. I still know there's that resistance to talking about an illness yeah. that's a mental illness as opposed to if we were a type of organisation that went in to talk about childhood cancer or you know kind of breast cancer yeah. or something like that I'm not saying one is more or less of a priority but certainly there's there still seems some degree of barrier and and yeah to talk about issues related to mental health rather than physical health yeah I think the same I think barrier was actually the exact word that I was thinking of as you were talking there that there, there does still seem to be some sort of barrier between um people I think it's because it makes them feel uncomfortable. It makes them feel uncomfortable and they're not really sure about it. And 
they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do and they don't know what to say, particularly for people who haven't experienced any sort of um, mental ill health or mental illness. They they just can't get their head around it. And that's that makes them feel uncomfortable, which which in a way is is sort of understandable. But there needs to be, okay, that's when their own regulation, I think, comes into it. Okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable. But actually, how can I change my behaviour now in a way that's going to help my team or the people around me or my family, who you know, whoever, whoever it might be? Um, so, yeah, I yeah, it's definitely still there for sure. I think particularly with businesses that they're, they're, they're just not sure about it all um, for probably many reasons. And, and the truth is, we know from statistics, I mean, I, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, like if we looked at an average workplace, what the percentage of people experiencing mental health at any one time in a company might be but surely we must be able to say that most employers at any one time will have at least one person even in a very small SME organization who is battling some kind of mental health issue or in as in the case we see with a lot of our families even if it's not the the employee themselves they may have a family member at home who is a young person battling something like an eating disorder yeah definitely um there's yeah there's lots there's lots to it I think there's more and more research coming out in particular with regards to the workplace and there was actually one study I saw yesterday which is a bit more of an extreme version of it but it was saying how people who worked really really long hours so it was like 90 plus work weeks which is obviously you know a lot a lot of work they were um they're the symptoms they had for depression were three times as much as someone who works a 40-hour week. Um, and there's a lot of statistics and things like that coming out at the moment, particularly in relation to things like burnout as well. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it, the signs as well of things like eating disorders, because people aren't educated on it, I think it's something that really needs to come into the school system a bit more from a young age. Um, because these people aren't, educated they don't they don't know the signs and as I say again they sort of panic and they don't know what to do about it so instead of doing something about it they just sort of like brush it off and think they'll be okay because they don't know what to do and they they panic and that's it then they just leave it it's really difficult conversations to have and isn't there one of the first things we find with the the biggest thing that in training in schools that teachers or school nurses want to take away from it is how do I have that conversation when I think I've spotted something? And how yeah. do I have that conversation with the parent when I think I need to explain to them we are kind, you know, we're concerned about your child, but we're not pointing the finger and trying to kind of issue any guilt in your direction. And yeah. I think in some cases, and I'm not blaming every school for this, but I think in some cases it's almost felt easier to say nothing and to yes. think it can't really be that bad. It's probably a faddy episode that that young person is going through and as I know only too well but for something like an eating disorder early intervention is everything so we can't risk that five years of the school going by without just yeah saying something so it's it's, yeah more we can kind of bang that drum and get the education in schools the better yeah it's as you say it's it's not only the education on the actual sort of mental mental health whether it's eating disorders but it's also I think it's what you sort of pinpointed it's the communication because it's that it's that vulnerability and it's people who they just don't know what to say and how to say it 
Um, and I've had quite a few people come to me recently and say, this is what I want some help with is, you know, I struggle with, even if it's giving, giving feedback, um, and they, they just feel worried about it to the point where they just don't do it. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's two parts to that. It's the education about the actual illness and spotting the signs and the symptoms. And then, okay, here's, here's a good way to have a positive and a positive outcome for your conversation with, you know, in a difficult circumstance. So overcoming that communication paralysis, which could just as easily be with a business leader and his employee, but it could yeah. also be with a parent and their teenager or you yeah. know, a, an adult and their spouse that they're concerned about. It, it's how do we have those communications without it eating away at us and kind of making that person worse and the whole kind of environment, be it the business environment or the family environment. Yeah. Um, and as you said, not just avoiding it will then end up that that child, just as that's the example we use, then they have five years of going through that school with that issue being ignored. And what does that lead to? And what also does that teach them going forward? And what missed opportunity? Like, you know, yeah. what, what, what sort of desperate situation it is when you're missing out the potential for that young person to flourish in the way that they ought to be able to. Yeah. So um, for anybody that's listening to this, what what sorts of things, if whether they're an individual going to think about therapy for the first time themselves or a family member that's thinking, you know, this is my next step really is to try and get some support for someone I love. What are the kind of things that they ought to be looking for, questions they ought, ought to be asking of themselves? Are there particular things that you think they should be thinking about in order to make sure they pick the right modality and the right practitioner I'm I'm a big believer in you know you could deliver the best modality in the world but actually if you're not the right fit for me and I can't feel comfortable expressing yeah. myself, that's never going to work is it it's, it, yeah. it's a relationship thing absolutely I think the number one thing is definitely the actual practitioner and that uh, almost reports do I feel comfortable with this person can I trust them with you know all these quite difficult things that I'm going to talk about and might end up being brought up do I feel comfortable with this person I think that is the first thing so always have a call um, initially I think most therapists would do that anyway but always have a call and think about not what they're telling you but how how they're making you feel do you feel comfortable in that conversation and if you're not sure then go back and have another call you know that would be okay um you don't you don't need to decide anything straight away if you're not sure take some time to think about it um if there are specific modalities that that you're interested in then of course go and research them and ask the practitioner about that um sometimes then there may be different modalities for different things as i say different things may work in individual cases or for even particular parts of what that individual wants to improve on or get away from um so i think yeah you 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 said it straight away the the biggest thing for me is absolutely do you feel comfortable with that person um and that's really the biggest decider i would say and you would say then therefore as a therapist you're never going to feel insulted if someone just says to you you're just not the right person not at all no, and it has it has to be right. Um, it has to be right both ways. Um, but absolutely, of course, for that the the client that's coming in as well, the person that wants support. Um, because ultimately, for you to get the best out of it, you need to feel 
comfortable um, and able to express these things and also willing to, I think, talk to that person. Um, but they, you know, it's also comfortable with the process as well. And if you feel more comfortable with the person, then something that sometimes can be difficult, but is very rewarding, the process will be easier if you're getting on well with, with that person that you're working with and you feel safe. Safety is a big one. Yeah, I think it, it can become very quickly apparent, can't it? It doesn't need to be yeah. where you need to say to yourself, oh, maybe I should give it 16 sessions before I figure out yeah, no. if it's right for me. Yeah. And if, if if you know that they're not right or you you suddenly think, actually, I'm not sure about this, don't, you know, it's okay. You can you can say, actually, this isn't working for me um, and and look for someone else or something else if it's something else that you prefer. Um, and that will be respected. It's not that sticky conversation that we have to have at the end of relationships where we end up. Yeah. Saying, it's not me. It's not. Yeah. 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 I guess you're always always prepared for those exit points. Yeah, you have to be, I think. Um, and it's also about, I think, from a practitioner's point of view, again, it's about letting them know that and, you know, understanding that. Then it might not be right for them and that's that's okay you know um and yeah again they they just need to feel that it's okay to to choose potentially someone else or to go somewhere else so yeah look for different people see what see what you think might work and take it from there oh thank you Isabel that's really helpful what a great insight. So we've learned a fair bit about kind of your skills and specialism, your background in, in therapy, but also some fabulous tips for how to engage or why to engage and when not to engage with your own kind of therapeutic journey. So I I just want to kind of warmly welcome you to the Wednesday's Child community and say we're really glad to have you on as a practitioner. And I know that you're primed and ready to start receiving people to support. So really looking forward to getting some positive feedback and hopefully people telling us of some great experience they're having with you in their sessions definitely thank you debbie i'm really looking forward to it all thank you thanks ever so much for listening to the latest episode of the wednesday's child podcast if there's anything that isabel has talked about today that you want to inquire about a little bit more and i'm i my head has certainly sparked around a few more ideas that we might want to put forward for a follow-up episode or even a, an online event so we can have a Q&A with Isabel then do let us know and we can pick up again on that in the future and as I say don't forget that Isabel is now a practitioner with us and if you're already thinking I need this woman to work with me then by all means get in touch with us our usual email address is hello at wednesdayschild.co.uk that's it for now we'll look forward to seeing you again on another episode really soon thanks for listening take care and stay focused on recovery 